Welcome to the Coworkers Podcast with Jesse and Shaney, where every believer is a coworker in God's mission. Welcome back, friends. We are finishing off today with our last episode in our Are You Convinced series. So we talked about some of the most important doctrines for all believers and certainly missionaries to be convinced of, the exclusivity of Christ, the reality and justness of hell, just nature of hell, uh, that disciple making and church planting are the biblical priorities of missions. And today we're on number four on the inerrancy and authority of scripture. We saved the best for last. We're pulling out the big guns for this one. We are joined by, uh, we're really honored to have a friend and a leader and a mentor over many years. And really, if you look across, particularly in our family of churches, and I would say really the evangelical church at large, one of the longstanding proponents of and practitioners of just upholding scripture for all people through teaching, through preaching. And so, Dr. Danny Aiken, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, This is an incredible honor for us. It's awesome. Thanks. Well, I'm I'm honored and glad to be with you guys. I, I love you guys, and it's always great to catch up with you and hear what the Lord's doing, and thank you for the invitation. So coming up on 20 years now as president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, came in in the middle of our first year there. That's right. And as we were just chatting before, uh, we got to meet on a chance meeting at the local Applebee's where we were employees. And Dr. Aiken came in in his basketball shorts and we were best friends. (laughs) That's right. In the middle of the winter. Maintained that friendship all these years. Yeah. That's right. Praise God. That's That's right. right. You you even came to visit us in Nepal. That's right. Never forget it. Yep. I remember (laughs) that as well. Y'all gave me a beautiful dagger knife or whatever you call it. Mm -hmm. uh, Yeah. That's right. So again, just a lot of faithfulness of the Lord, his steadfast goodness to look back on over the past couple of decades. And particularly in this topic, man, you've just led so well. You've led the seminary. You have led our family of churches at large. Even you have led us through teaching and um, from books that you've written to really point people towards the scripture, the importance of an expository understanding of scripture, the way that it's taught, the way that it's read, the way that it's experienced and applied. And we really want to dig into that basic kind of foundational understanding of Scripture. It's truth, it's inerrancy, it's trustworthiness, it's authority over our lives. So we're just going to start from the very beginning. How do we know, how can we we be sure that God's Word is trustworthy, true, and authoritative for our lives? Well, I think, first of all, guys, it begins with our doctrine of God. If uh, we believe uh, from the scriptures, and I realize some people say, well, this is a circular argument. That's true in one sense, but in another sense, it's uh, uh, adapting the model of witness. In other words, put the Bible in the witness doc and let the Bible talk about itself. Let the Bible share its own defense, if you like. So when you come to the Bible, you discover that our God is a God of truth. And this is a deductive argument. I'm going to give a deductive argument and an inductive argument. Deductively, our major premise is that God is a God of truth. Our minor premise is the Bible is God's word. Therefore, the conclusion that naturally follows is the Bible is true. And when I was in seminary, I had a professor uh, who said, I have a high view of the Bible, but he did not believe the Bible was inerrant. We brought out 
he actually raised this deductive argument and acknowledged, I struggle with this argument because you either have to deny the major premise, God is a God of truth, or the minor premise, you have to either deny it or adjust it, that the Bible is the word of God. And so if you indeed affirm those two things, which I think the Bible clearly affirms itself, then the uh, logical conclusion is the Bible is true because the Bible is the word of God and our God is a God of truth. The second way, uh, uh, guys, is that you go into the Bible and you ask, well, what does the Bible say about itself in terms of its own witness? We could spend hours here, but let me hit the high points. Jesus said the Bible, uh, the scriptures cannot be broken. John 10, 35, the scriptures cannot err. The scriptures cannot lead us astray. He said in his high priestly prayer in John 17, 17 to his father, your word is truth. He also said in Matthew 5, 17 and 18, now he was referring to the Old Testament, but that's usually where most of the attacks come with respect to the Bible anyway, he said that not a jot or a tittle, not a letter or a part of a letter will pass away until all of it is fulfilled. And this is actually one place where liberal scholars help us because some liberal scholars are very honest. Uh, I think of people like uh, Adolf von Harnack. Uh, I think of people like uh, Kersop Lake, who's quoted in Milton Erickson's Christian Theology. Uh, I think of Rudolf Bultmann. All three of those men were very clear. Jesus had the same view of the Bible as any Orthodox first century Jew. He believed the Bible was completely true and trustworthy. They simply draw the conclusion, and he was wrong. Uh, I believe in particular because of the resurrection, which is the affirmation that he is God, that he is right about everything that he says. And therefore, when Jesus says that the Bible is true and trustworthy, yes, referring to the Old Testament, but also promises us in John 14 through 16 that when the Spirit comes, he would lead us in particular at that context, the apostles, that he will lead us into all truth. He then promised concerning the New Testament, its truthfulness and its reliability as well. Uh, often I will say this to my students. If you ever come to a point in time in your life where you no longer believe the Bible to be the absolutely true and trustworthy word of God, then you need to understand you're saying two things. One, uh, Jesus was wrong about the Bible. And secondly, when it comes to the nature of the Bible, uh, I uh, understand its reality better than Jesus. And I think those are both very dangerous propositions for one to adopt, especially, again, if he rose from the dead, he is God. As God, he is right about everything that he says, and that includes being right about what he said about the Bible. Uh, but let me tell you a story. When I went to Southern Seminary in 1996, one of my goals was to meet and interact with all the faculty there. Uh, half of which were glad that Al Mohler and I were there and half of which were not happy in any form or fashion. One of the men that I went out to lunch with one day was a well-known New Testament scholar and also a devotee of Rudolf Bultmann. Went to Germany, studied under Bultmann, loved Bultmann. Bultmann, of course, uh, was anti-supernatural. 
uh, demythologize the Bible, which meant every time you see the supernatural, you jettison it uh, because we live in a world where we have electricity and jet planes and miracles are no longer uh, acceptable. And so as we were talking, he uh, said at the very beginning, can I ask you a question? I said, well, you ask me anything you want. The name was Jim. I won't give you his last name. He says, how can you with a PhD believe the Bible is inerrant? I mean, I, I, I just don't understand how you do that. And then he kind of caught himself and he said, I'm sorry, that sounds condescending. I don't mean to be. Uh, and of course, it was condescending, but that's OK. Uh, I said, well, I'm not offended by your question. I, I'll be glad to answer it, though I'm not sure it will satisfy you. And I said, number one, when I was 10 years old, I got converted. I became a Christian. And that impacted how I look at the world and including the Bible. Secondly, when I was 19, I recommitted my life to Christ. And at that point in time, I really fell in love with Jesus all over again. And I wanted to think like Jesus thinks about everything. Well, I went to the Bible and, and I discovered Jesus said not a letter or a part of a letter will pass away till all of it's fulfilled. Jesus said in John 10, 35, the scriptures cannot be broken. They don't err. He said in John 17, 17, in his high priestly prayer that uh, God's word is truth. And I said, you know, Jim, you went to uh, you went to Germany, studied under Bultmann and he lit up like a Christmas tree. He said, I did. I even went to church with him. I said, well, I said, I've read Bultmann and Bultmann said that Jesus had the same view of the Bible as any first century Jew that Jesus believed the Bible was completely true and trustworthy. I said, the only difference between Dr. Bultmann and me is that Bultmann thinks Jesus was wrong. I think that Jesus was right. And Jim, if Jesus rose from the dead, then he's God. And as God, that means he is right about everything, including mm -hmm. the nature of the Bible. And this very brilliant New Testament scholar looked at me and said, I'll never forget it. He said, well, I've never thought about it like that before. That does make a lot of sense. And we ate our lunch. So <laughs> ultimately for me, my view of the Bible comes down to my view of Jesus. I still remember y'all were at Southeastern when Russ Bush was still living Mm -hmm. Dr. Bush was my philosophy professor at Southwestern Seminary, mm -hmm. and I didn't understand it at the time. I do now. He said that the issue of the Bible is ultimately a question of Christology. What you believe about Jesus will determine what you believe about the Bible. And I think he's exactly right. And so for me, the witness of Jesus the witness of Paul in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, the witness of Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 through 21, the witness of David, just think of Psalm 19 and Psalm 119, and the Bible overwhelmingly over and over and over in both testaments affirms its truthfulness, its trustworthiness, yes, its inerrancy and its infallibility. Man, that is so great. Such an incredible reminder and such great truth of how the truth of the scripture is tied to God's nature himself. Absolutely. And particularly, we have we've brought out even in the other discussions that we've had about in this Are You Convinced series, whether it's about hell or whether it's about Jesus being the only way, so much is tied to the the person of Jesus Christ himself and particularly the historical anchor of his resurrection. If Jesus was raised from the dead, then it really combines all these things together, unites them around his authority 
as this is the son of God. And whether he says wow. it or whether he does it, that sets the that sets everything for us. I have a friend who's an atheist who came to Crystal College in the uh, late 80s, early 90s and wrote a book called Chapter and Verse, A Skeptic Revisits Christianity. I wish I could tell you today he's become a believer. He hasn't, but we still have a wonderful friendship. But in that book, and also the last time we were with him when we lived in Dallas, I asked him, I said, Mike, you've gone through a semester at uh, our school. You've taken uh, classes. You've gone on a mission trip. You went with us to Israel. What's the bottom line? And he said, well, that's easy, Danny. The bottom line is the resurrection. I said, well, I agree with you, but why would you say that? He said, well, it's easy. If Jesus rose from the dead, then several things naturally follow. Number one, he's God. Number two, the Bible is true because he said it's true. Number three, heaven and hell are real because he said they were real. And number four, he makes all the difference because he said he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes from the Father but, but by me. And I said, and that's pretty good theology for an atheist. And he just kind of chuckled, and he said, well, I feel like I had some good teachers. But even he clearly understood how it all coheres and holds together if Jesus rose from the dead. That's it. You couldn't say it much better than that from a mouth of no. an atheist, right? Exactly. Yeah. You went through like every point almost of our series and just taught how it all comes back to, well, if Jesus said these things and Jesus rode from the, rose from the dead, then that's kind of the end of the discussion. Yeah. We're surrounded by a lot of Hindu people and Muslim people who don't believe the Bible. And that makes a lot of sense to me. But sometimes it feels like there are many people in the American church who don't seem to believe in the perfection of the Bible. They would have Bibles in their houses. They would probably say it's good and important to read the Bible, but it seems clear that they're not trusting every single word of the Bible or that they might not think that's even important. So how do you sort through that? I think ultimately it comes down to the issue of authority. And most people don't even think about these kind of questions. Basically we're talking about epistemology. I would never use that word with a regular normal person they would think i was maybe using profanity toward them but what is your source of authority what is it that ultimately determines why you think the way you think and live the way that you live and you know bottom line it boils down to one of four options either it is experience reason tradition or revelation and for most people even those that claim to be christian when push comes to shove their ultimate authority is their experience. So they don't mind uh, accepting parts of the Bible that cohere with and reinforce their experience. But when the Bible contradicts their experience and says, no, how you're thinking is wrong, how you're living is wrong, uh, at that point, they want to take a cafeteria approach and they just say, well, I, I, I know what I feel is right for me. And I'm right back to their ultimate uh, uh, authority in their life. And I think this is true probably for most people, but certainly most Americans, is their experience. And, you know, uh, this is my truth. Uh, I want my child to speak and, and live by their truth, not realizing that that is an absolutely nonsensical kind of statement. Because just because you think it's right 
doesn't make it right. I, I can think all I want that I don't have cancer. But if all of the tests and the x-rays and the CAT scan show that I do have it, well, I can say my truth is I don't have it all I want. And if I don't allow them to treat it, I'm going to die from it. Mm. Such a good word. We just can't get around so, it, right? No. So in the church, we have got to teach our people again and again and again. You must deal with and answer the question, what is the ultimate authority in your life? And if the Bible is infallible and inerrant, it is the only book in the world. It is the only authority in the in the world that we have that is completely true and therefore trustworthy and reliable. And that includes parts we may not like uh, that we're not comfortable with. But then again, uh, the Bible teaches us our hearts are wicked and deceitful and we cannot even know it. And therefore, if that is the case, what can I know that can lead me to live according to real, as Francis Schaeffer said, true truth? Well, there is one, and it is the word of God. That's good. In your decades of following the Lord and studying the scripture, have you had times when you've realized oh, I've kind of been ignoring these passages or, oh, these passages make me feel uncomfortable or I'm noticing a lack of love in my heart for maybe certain parts of the Bible. Have you ever come to that realization and how did you work through that? Well, uh, Shaney, that's happened to me over and over and over. Uh, you're reading the Bible in an expository manner, which I think is the best because that forces you to deal with passages that otherwise you just might skip over uh, or turn the page. Uh, I'll come back another time. Uh, no, it, it's there. You got to deal with it right now. And uh, first and foremost, it makes me uncomfortable. It brings me under conviction. Then I have a decision. Am I going to trust again my feelings, my rationale? We all have the ability to rationalize things away. Or am I going to take God's word at face value, let it do its surgery in my heart and hopefully not only change the way I think, uh, but change the way I act uh, as well. And yeah, there have been times where the Bible uh, exposed uh, biases, uh, prejudices that I didn't really know that I had until the Bible, as James says, like a mirror showed me my sin. And then I had a decision to make. Am I going to trust God's word and respond? Or am I going to be like the foolish man in James who sees I've got a dirty face? I need to clean myself up. But nah, I just walk away and then I forget the kind of man that I am. And if you keep doing that over time, you become callous. Uh, you rationalize. And the next thing you know, you found a way to be comfortable with your sin, uh, which only ultimately leads to sorrow and heartache. And as James says, even death. Now, we can explain and look what does he mean by that. Uh, I don't think he necessarily means physical death at that point. It could be or spiritual death. But sin always leads to a death like state. There's nothing good there. Ultimately, it, it looks good on the surface. It, it really if it didn't look good, we wouldn't be attracted to it. Mm -hmm. But if you get beneath it, you find there's nothing there but rot 
and heartache, sorrow, and death. Man, I want to get real practical on that particular point. Just, I think the power of Scripture to speak to us, to shape us, to conform us, to challenge us, convict us. How do we practice that discipline of being exposed to it and letting it shine its light on us? Uh, What would you say, just in very practical, maybe even simple terms? Well, the great Puritan John Owen said, what we feed will thrive and what we starve will die. Hmm. I think that's very simple, but very true. So if we feed on the word of God and we're in the word every day, not just reading it in the kind of, and I don't mean this to be uh, condescending at all or negative, but in a, a more than just a merely devotional kind of, oh, I, re- I read my pat- I read my chapter today, check that box, I'm out of here. No, 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 no. You actually take time, as the Bible says, to meditate on the word of God. You, you take a passage and you think about it. Not only do you take a passage and think about it, you maybe even bring together other godly men and women through this wonderful thing called commentaries that can give you insight into how they saw the scriptures and what God showed them. And you let that just kind of settle into your being. You, you allow yourself to soak. Spurgeon talked about just soaking in the scriptures. And I fear that most of us, again, and it's even true that you and I can be guilty of this, where we uh, daily aren't soaking in the scriptures. And here's the deal. People that wind up disqualifying themselves from ministry in particular, without exception, without exception, without exception, they will say to me, I was not spending daily intimate time with my Lord and in his word. Because if every day you're spending time in his word, it's showing you your sin. It's showing you where you need to repent. It's showing you where you need to make changes. It's showing you where your life isn't matching up with the life of Christ that is now in you. And that you also proclaim to long to follow as an example. And again, I know that liberals sometimes get um, all the press about the example idea. But it's right there in the Bible. First uh, Corinthians 11, 1, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And there are other places where you have that as well. But there is this principle of imitation, uh, ultimately of Christ. But we all need, I think, spiritual role models, spiritual heroes, people that we look up to because they follow Christ in, in my own life from a distance. Uh, Adrian Rogers was a great hero to me, just a great hero. Well, when I got up close and personal, to my great delight, I found out he was just as real up close and personal as he was by a long distance up there in the pulpit. And, and as I met people that knew him, they spoke in such glowing terms about what a kind, gracious, godly, other focused individual he was. And so in one sense, if you said, well, is there a human role model? Yes, I would like to be like him. I would like to be like Billy Graham, who I saw up close and personal. So I'd like to be like Jimmy Draper. I'd like to be like uh, Jim Henry. Uh, these are men that are either at the end of their race or have finished their race and they finished well. And guys, I'm 66 now. 
And so I can see the finish line uh, not too far out there in the horizon. And I've always wanted to finish well. But I can tell you now it is at the top of my list that I don't want to mess up in my final years and undo at this point 40 years uh, of ministry, which hasn't been perfect. But for the most part, I, I think I've been faithful. Well, I want to be faithful to the end. And again, being in the word every day, allowing it to speak to your heart and show you your sin will keep you away. from. You know, the the, the saying is uh, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. That's that's very simple, but it's very true because when we're living in sin, we don't want to be in the word. It's just too doggone uncomfortable. Those are words to live by right there. Uh, just to, that that would be our spiritual food each day and that we would cherish it, you know, not just for its ability to convict us of sin, but for its ability to point us to Jesus and to true joy in the midst of that, to know that full life comes from meditating. And I think it's good to remind people that sometimes it's hard work, that sometimes people think that they could just sit down and read and take their spiritual truth for the day and go on, right? I think we all know, though, that to truly soak in it means you have to soak and sometimes you have to dig and sometimes yeah. you have to let it just really permeate and study and look at commentaries, things like that. But I, well, I uh, finish my students again and, and my friends, you know, what, what do you do when you're in your car? Uh, you can listen to all sorts of kinds of music. Okay. What kind of music do you listen to? You can listen to podcasts. All right. Uh, what kind of podcast do you listen to? And I don't want to be a Pharisee here. Uh, my boys a couple of years ago gave me uh, an audio library gift where I could download, I forget, 15 books, and then I get another couple every year. Well, I'll be honest with you, I'm a big World War II fanatic, so I can just about tell you today anything you want to know about Nazi Germany, because I went through the rise and fall of the Third Reich. I've, I've listened to three or four um, uh, biographies on Hitler, uh, but I've also listened to some wonderful audio books. Uh, great. I listened to, for example, recently, uh, The Secret Confessions of an Unlikely Convert by Rosario Butterfield, which just so moving about how she was loved uh, to Christ by a Presbyterian pastor and his wife and the radical transformation uh, in her life. Uh, I've listened to the stories of other. I love I love missionary biographies. And so I went back through all of the books that you can find on the life of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. And again, the nourishment that that also brings to your heart and soul. And of course, you can just listen to the Bible now very easily in audio. But what do you do when you're when you're in your car? What do you do when you're walking or running? You know, because, again, whatever you uh, feed on is what you're going to become. And are you feeding on the things of God? And in particular, his word. I think that's a super important thing to talk about. There's a lot of Christian podcasts that are good, but there's almost a spectrum of how Bible focused they are. And I know I can sense in my heart when I'm turning to something for entertainment and when I'm turning to it for true please use this to make me closer to you, God. Like I want this, this path needs to lead to you or this path leads to Shaney just feeling entertained. They've put all of Elizabeth Elliott's teachings on a podcast and I've been listening to that and I've been noticing this contrast 
because it is so focused the way she teaches on the authority of scripture. And it's very different than a lot of the other podcasts I listen to. I think there's a danger there that we we just kind of want easy, entertaining teaching because we're, I don't know, shallow. lazy, shallow, like, lazy. Shallow. And we just we just want to feel good. We just I just want my mind to be distracted when I'm tired. And I feel better about that as opposed to like maybe Netflix or something. <laughs> now you listen to someone like Elizabeth Elliott and she is going to slice and dice. She's going to cut you she open. Is. She but is. She will, she will sew you back up if you really listen to what she's saying. But she's not playing. She, she's, she's serious. And when I went back through again, uh, through the gates of splendor in the shadow of the almighty, and then a new biography that came out about her just a couple of years ago, I was brought again under such conviction about, are you, Danny Aiken is serious about all of this as you ought to be? Now, yeah, I know she was on the mission field. She lost her husband and all, but still what she's talking about ought not to be uh, abnormal. It really ought to be normal for mm-hmm. all of us. And when you talk about the people that knew her, you know, from a distance, she could come across a little bit rough but people Mm -hmm. that knew her really well would speak of how yes she was very serious but she was very gentle loving servant oriented she just took the things of god with great seriousness because they are we're talking about life and death heaven and hell and so i think cutting our teeth uh shaney on things like that are going to make us uncomfortable but they're also going to be the things that will make us stronger in the lord Look, I like to hear things that are pleasing and light and easy. I don't have to use a lot of gray matter when I'm engaging them. But those are not the things that do the deep work in my life. They just don't. So as a seminary president, seeing a lot of young people come through your college and your seminary, how are people viewing the word differently now than they did two decades ago when you started? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. It, it's it's very, very, very different. The positive is most of our students really want to do something great for God. They do. So they're not. Uh, in fact, sometimes uh, you have to chide them a little bit about being so jaundiced about their upbringing and the church that they came out of. And uh, I will always remind them, well, now just remember where you got saved. And uh, under whose preaching you got saved. So I'd be careful if I uh, if I were you about throwing your your home church and your home pastor under the bus uh, because you wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. So, you know, let's kind of be fair here. Grateful that you want to be a Rambo or a Rambet for Jesus. But uh, just again, realize that you are here. In fact, I was at a conference several years ago with nine marks. Of course, nine marks is very reformed. And uh, we do a nine marks conference here every year. Mark Dever's my friend. So I don't have a problem with most of, of what they do. But I said, I'm just curious. I, I just want to know how many of you in this room got saved in a non-reformed church? 90%. 90%. And so I just said, well, guys, if I were you, I'd just be a little careful how I'm always trashing the non-reformed because they are your spiritual parents. And they birthed you into the kingdom. 
And I think that's a good word for all of us. So these new students that are really on fire for the Lord, uh, we're sending more missionaries out than ever, more church planners out than ever. They want to really do something for Christ. They do need to work on how they view his church. I know she's not always pretty, but she is his bride. And they need to remind be remember, reminded of that. The other thing, though, is there's no question that culture is impacting them. I don't want to say wearing them down, but it is shaping the way they think in particular about gender issues. And we're having to work harder and harder and harder. And here's where most of them are. Very few, in fact, almost none, come here thinking that the LGBTQ plus agenda is a good one. Okay, they don't. But they have this same kind of mindset that some of my friends had years ago when it came to abortion, where they would say, well, personally, I'm pro-life. But in terms of legislation, who am I to tell others what they can or cannot do? And so I'm pro-choice in terms of how I would vote. And I'm like, you can't do that. That You can't do that. If you're truly pro-life, you can't do that. Well, you'll have these students that say, well, when it comes to me, I believe that the Bible teaches that there are two genders. It's a binary construct, male and female. I believe that marriage is only between a man and a woman in that union. But who am I to tell? And they go down that road. And so what we're trying to do is help our students think and act like Jesus. John 1, 14, full of grace and full of truth. Mm. I do not want our students to be uh, ugly, angry, hostile uh, toward those in that lifestyle, because for God's grace, we could all be there and in other areas as well. So I want them to be loving, kind, gracious. I want them to be like that Presbyterian pastor and his wife that led Rosario Butterfield to faith in Christ. At the same time, that pastor and his wife did not budge one inch on the truth of the gospel and the truth of the word of God about what God says about gender and what God says about acceptable marriage uh, uh, covenant. So that's what we're having to work with more uh, intentionally. Here's what we have to remind ourselves, and y'all are even too old now, uh, but your children living in America, I don't know what the laws are in India. They're going to grow up in a world where same-sex marriage has always been, that they will never know a time when it wasn't. And so for them to feel more like this is normal um, is a challenge because it's the world they're growing up in. And they are just being bombarded by the culture, by media, by educational elites. I mean, it is just constantly being bombarded on them. And for them to push back against that, it's not easy. And I want to be fair to them. And therefore, we have to nurture them and love them to a biblically balanced posture, full of grace, full of truth. Mm. But. They do come out of a world where truth is with a small T and an S at the end, and that is not enough to sustain you. They want something solid and real, and so they're voracious. 
when it comes to the Bible, voracious when it comes to theology, when it comes to ethics. Uh, I think Dr. Lederbach, uh, Dr. Bible, Dr. Jones, Dr. Heimbach's retired now, but still teaches in the PhD program. What they do has never been more important in the life of our seminary. It, it's, it's risen in terms of its significance and importance for our students. I think the, you know, every generation faces those cultural issues that are attacking the truthfulness of the scripture and trying to capture people's hearts away from that and challenge a biblical worldview. But like you yeah. said, I think this generation, the volume has just been turned up. Uh, I mean, it's just like never before the access to it and just inundated. That's right. It's just a flood that our young people face that we face now that we have access to social media and mobile devices, all that stuff. It's just overwhelming. And so how do we in the midst of that counter, that voice, even the volume of it. How do we get good teaching out more, direct people to good Christian podcasts? Have, like you said, we've adopted at various times a, a habit of lis- listening to the scriptures. Just when we have free time, just listen to the Bible. Let that word see- soak in kind of through any outlet that we can, trying to push it in there. Help people to cherish the word. I think fighting for attention is such a battle these days. Attention spans are getting shorter and shorter. And yes. so the the ability to soak and to marinate and to study and dig into the word, it's becoming more and more rare. And so helping it's our people just find counter, time to do that. It's very countercultural, but it is. it's very biblical. Exactly. And life-giving. When, they, when we put in the time, Absolutely. we find life and yes. joy there. So you talked about finishing well, and we'll kind of finish this podcast well as well. But I'm so happy to see you make it to 66 because well, I remember hearing from you about how you sometimes you would joke about wanting to die at 60 or 65 so you didn't screw things up at the end. So we are we are very glad that you are finishing well. Right. Dr. Bacon, well, I'm, I'm, few... I'm asking the Lord if he would be kind enough to let me live long enough uh, with, a, with, with my faculty still intact to see uh, my first granddaughter, uh, Maddie, get married. Uh, there you she go. She will be 17 in uh, July. So... If God's kind enough to give me four or five more years, we got married at 21 and 19. How old were y'all? 24. Okay, y'all, y'all yeah. a little bit older, but if I that's can right. get her married 22, <laughs> 23, of course, that's God's calling. <laughs> uh, I, I would get to watch that. And so if I make that, I will be fine. Man, well, we're so grateful for your testimony, for your leadership, for your mentorship so, and your friendship over the years as well. Yes. You're finishing well, and we're watching, and it means a lot. And a lot of other people are as well. Thanks so much. I love you guys and super proud of where you are, what you're doing. And uh, you make me a proud president of Southeastern Seminary to have you guys as part of the family. 